Hello and welcome to Safe Toddles Podcast. I'm Dr. Grace Ambrosakin. I'm here with Kelvin Crosby. Hi, Kel. Hi. How you guys doing? It's so good to be here. Even though I can't see you, but hey, it's good to see you all though. <laughs> I like it. Well, today's going to be a very interesting episode for me, especially because we're going to talk a lot about you and growing up with Usher syndrome. I've got that right, right? Yep. Usher syndrome type two. Usher syndrome type two. What does that mean exactly? So there's three different types of Usher syndrome. So there's Usher syndrome type one, where you're born deaf, and then over time you start losing your your you lose your night vision, you start losing your peripheral vision, and then for some they lose it completely. Others they never go legally blind. It really it's all over the spectrum. Type two is what I have. So basically, you're born hard of hearing. And then over time, uh, you lose your night vision, and then you start losing your peripheral vision. And the same thing with usher type one, you, it just a, there's a variety of levels of what could happen to your vision. Whether you go completely blind, or you just lose a little bit, you just lose your peripheral vision. It's a variety of options. And then type three is the I call it the the most challenging one of a, all four all the three options, which is when you're born normal, and over time. You start losing your hearing and your vision, and you start losing your peripheral vision. You start losing your hearing levels. Some go completely deaf. Some don't. It just depends on the individual. It's a very interesting disease that because it, it everybody's different and how it works, how it affects their body and interact with them. So. And you're talking about peripheral vision. Yeah. What is that? What's that mean? So peripheral vision means it's 180 degrees, what we normally a normal human being would see. But if you were to shrink that to 100, 100 degrees to 90 degree angle, like we call angles, like 90 degree angles, it's similar like that. So like when you shoot, shoot a flashlight, you start with a narrow beam and it gets bigger. And you can decrease and increase the, the lens on it. And it'll make the flashlight wider or bigger. It's kind of like that degree angle of how much light is being pushed through. It's the same issue with the vision loss. Is As you start losing your profile vision, you're getting less light into your eyes, causing you not to be able to see more of, what, of your field of vision. So that's also sometimes they call it travel vision, right? Yeah. The peripheral. Yep. So it can make it more challenging that way. Okay, so now what I understand, Usher's type 2, you were born hard of hearing. Is yep. that the right term? Yep, I was born hard of hearing. And is there some example, a functional example of uh, your hearing that you might describe? So I'm 60, and uh, I don't remember what year it is. I'm 60 in one year and 70% loss in the other. Mm. And when, and I haven't really had any decrease. Um, there are people that have Usher syndrome type 2, their hearing decreases over time. But my hearing has been the same since I was born. So I haven't lost any hearing using hearing aids. So so that's been a, that's been a blessing in disguise. But it's one of those things where for, mo- for people that have Usher's, they can tend to lose their hearing as well with Usher syndrome type 2. Right. It's very unpredictable. The oh, future. yeah. <laughs> and what kind of stress is that to live under? I mean, it's very interesting. I mean, I, my book will be coming out in a couple couple months, and it kind of t- goes through that journey. And me talking about the challenges of that, 
and one of the th biggest things that I say is I go through several several levels of mourning and grief, and it's important to do that so that you can address the issue that's happening before you to be able to move forward. So, like for me, I'm now 32, and now that I'm 32. I've lost all the clarity in my eyes, so I can't see anything clear. And I that literally just happened about six months ago. And I had to take a moment, take a breather, address it, all right, do my crying, do my mourning. Sure. And said, all right, what am I going to do? So I went purposely went and bought a s smaller iPhone. So that way I could not, I would stop looking at the phone. I then went down to only one, essentially one monitor on my computer. So that way I, I can only track the colors on the screen. I'm not reading the text on the screen. So that way I forced myself to start learning all the tools that I need to prepare for the worst. So your identity, I mean, you've always had a hearing loss yeah. or hearing impairment. And so to, to, to say would be that's not a morning. That's yeah. that's who you are. Yeah. You, that's your identity. Yeah. And so the problem then with ushers is when did you know I, that you were going to be also visually impaired, or did you know? Yeah. So I, we didn't know. We at, at the time when my parents realized I was hard of hearing, they they couldn't diagnose it, and that was the problem with this is. With Usher syndrome, it's kind of like a hit. It's a hidden disease unless you get your gene tested to really know if you have Usher syndrome. Ah. Oh. Until you until you're about thirteen, because that's when you start losing your night vision, and uh, if people are aware of it, then they can start addressing it. Um, I mean, I I know a few people actually that has Usher syndrome type two, and they had hearing aids. But didn't know until like they were 22, 30, because oh, they didn't, wow. nobody saw it. Like they were driving, they did doing everything like any seeing person would do. But over time, they'd be like, oh, I have a little bit more of a challenge than just being hard of hearing. So, yeah. yeah. Because that night vision, you might try to explain away a near miss if you're a driver, yeah, for example. Exactly. You think, oh, I just didn't notice that. And so, similarly with peripheral vision loss, it's not like you can see that you see less. Yeah. You think you're seeing the whole field, exactly. but suddenly something surprises you or someone else might notice something and you don't notice it. And it's like, how did you mm -hmm. notice that? I didn't see that. <laughs> exactly. Well, and that's a very interesting point, though. Like when I when we started realizing, I was in sixth grade when I realized I couldn't see the stars anymore. Mm. But I, I didn't. I did like oh, everybody else couldn't see the stars either. I had no idea. Right. It wasn't until, and I'm not going to spoil this until the next event that I had. You got to go read the book if you want to know that <laughs> story. It wasn't until I was that next event where we, oh boy, like we realized there is something wrong. Yeah. And so, and then three months later, we realized that, oh, she has also syndrome type 2. Even the doctors, when they came in and looked at my eyes that first time, had no idea what was going on. Wow. They, they, they had to do a process of elimination of, like, okay, what is going on in retina? Like, why are these cones and rods on the back of his retina? 
and causing this problem. We've never seen this before. However, they have, but not not necessarily in this format or something like that. And so it took three doctors to make the diagnosis. So, Oh, that's tough. Yeah. And each time, I guess, holding out hope that it's not something, that they're kind of giving you two options or three. It could be this. If it's this, then it's not as bad. But if it's this, then it could be really bad or it could be... We don't know how bad it'll get. I mean, there's just a lot of uncertainty, I imagine. And you were a teenager, so you were quite aware, and you were a part of the whole conversation. Mm-hmm. Which, and I could and, see the girls. I mean, and you could. <laughs> yeah, hey, that, 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 that was an important part at that time in my life. Like, whoo! <laughs> did you ever get to driver's license and yeah. try driving? Yeah. For I how did. long were you a driver? I, I drove for two years. Nice. And you, you talk to people that drove with me, and they're like, yeah, we we were praying for our lives. <laughs> it wasn't <laughs> like like my my wife. She remembers driving me. I, I don't remember this, but I, I was fifteen because my wife is six years older than I am, and uh-huh. and so I had driven to church at one point, and then she came. She we were going somewhere, and she's like. I, I was just praying for my life. I was like, you were the most craziest driver. Like, you emerged on that lane. And, like, there would be a car there, and then you'd get honked at, and the next thing you're like, oh, I'm like, I didn't see that. <laughs> well, that's how my husband drives right now, and I know he's not well, visually impaired. It may well, just be well, maybe <laughs> you were a bad driver. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe you need to get a field vision t- checked. That yeah, might be probably, <laughs> right? Yeah, good thinking. You're right. We should have just overlooked this thing because I guess in the end, that's kind of what happens is you just don't take these things seriously. Exactly. Enough exactly. and mm-hmm. get to – I mean, that's probably the number one doctor people – forget to go to you go to your dentist you go to get your general but unless you i don't know like you should go every year to get your eyes checked and uh, do uh all of the maintenance to make sure that you're seeing what you should be when i think that that's one thing yeah i mean i was just wearing glasses back then like i i had i was nearsighted so it was just uh, it wouldn't necessarily something that we tested, and you wouldn't necessarily get to this stage unless you go to a retina doctor. So there, there's a series of process that has to happen. Unless you get the only way to know this for sure, if you have Usher syndrome type two, is to get gene tested. And this is something that I do encourage people to do. If if you sense that there is something in your gene line or somebody like your child is having some child, get them gene tested for something with visual impairments or whatever that is, because then that can really help prepare them for whatever is going to happen down the road. Makes sense. My big question as an orientation mobility specialist is you have made the comment on several occasions to me, to my face (laughs) that you've never participated in an O&M lesson (laughs) And that is still true today. But do you have a dog guide? And did you go to a dog guide school? Or is that yeah. not true? So That is true. So okay. we, will, we will let the cat out of the bag a little bit. Because they really did. I had two O&M instru- lessons with a cane. Okay. And that was in high school. 
completely rebelled against the whole process. But your vision at that time was still was fairly driving. good. Like, I would get out of the car, and we would go across the street with a blind camera. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. <laughs> it, was, it didn't fit. Yeah. yeah. And then my first six, I would, I would say nine months. No, it was a year. My first year of being blind, completely self-taught how to use the cane. And I want to get a guide dog. Yeah, so the, then I went to... So I, I took two orientation mobility classes from the Barrel Institute here in San Diego. And she's like, Kelvin, you don't, you don't need my help. You nice. know how to cross the street. You know how to do that. You can, you, you're, yeah, I'll just write the paperwork up and you'll just take your tests. So the, the, so a guy and I for the blind in New York, they came out and attested me and I passed like flying colors. And I got, then, I went to Helen Keller National Center shortly after so that. You're so. hard of hearing. Yeah. Does your street crossing strategy differ any way from someone who has hearing and is blind? Yes. I I wait for the dead silence. It's a, I'm a little bit more cautious when I cross streets, mainly because I don't want to have that honking noise or something to get me to give have a heart attack. But here's the thing: is I have been hit three times. All right. So my question to you is, um, yes, if you went to someone who typically teaches someone who is hearing, did you ever go to someone who typically teaches someone who is dual sensory impaired for O&M? I went to Helen Keller National Center. You did? Okay. Mm-hmm. And then I was uh, taught by Gene, I forget his last name. Gene Borkwin. Yeah. Good friend. Yeah. yeah. So field. Yes, it is. It is. And he taught me the arc, the how to walk properly with my arc. With and, your cane arc. Yeah. yeah. And that changed the world for me. Wonderful. And then he's a good guy. And so he, he He's re- also dual sensory impaired, by the way. Oh, I didn't I'm know that. Te- yeah, uh-huh. yeah, yeah. So he, he then he was like I mean, at that point, they're like, he doesn't need training. Like, he 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 got this. I mean, I was traveling in New York City when I would literally the day I got landed. The next day, I was in, in church in the New York in in the city itself, and then the next week, I'm traveling by myself in the city. And so, I was at that point, I was willing to take any risk I needed to have my independence. So this is where. It was a blessing in disguise, but as a, at the same time, a kind of a curse in a way where I was self-teaching myself how to use the blind cane. And I was crossing the street, not necessarily understanding how to do that yet, but I, I learned from my mistakes. So the first time I got hit by a car, I waited for dead. After that incident, it took me three weeks to get back out of out of the Helen Keller National Center. And they know nothing about this, by the way. <laughs> Okay, we won't tell them. Well, they know about it now, <laughs> but back then they knew nothing about oh. this. And so, I, could I, I just hid. I like I went to my room with the classes. I didn't go into the city for three weeks, and then I had to nail that that crossing again. And once I nailed it, I realized, oh, this is what I this is what I messed up on. And I was able to. It was the wind and the feeling of what was happening in my environment. So I learned how to feel my environment without my ears. Because that was the, the other thing is I was trying to hear and cross that street because that's what I was doing before. Sure. But I started learning how to feel the wind and how to feel other things besides just my ears. Interesting. And so 
and so the second time I got hit after that, and it was also in New York City, that incident was not as dramatic because I, I, yeah, I did everything correctly. The only thing that was that occurred was the person didn't see me at all. But ah. I, I just got off the curb, and they and they hit the tip of my cane and broke the broke my cane, and I was safe though. And so, because I knew the car was coming, I was able to react. I couldn't get the cane out of the way. Yeah. So, and then the third time that I got hit was in San Diego. And it was more of a sun situation where the, there was so much sun in the driver's eyes, they couldn't see. And I was already halfway through the crosswalk. So, Well, here's two things that I think I'm learning from you. One is that perhaps now that you have had success with an effective instructor like Gene Borkwin, and you've also revealed to me that some of your vision has even taken a further yeah hiatus there maybe since you've seen the value of a professional O&M specialist who like is Gene Borkwin like he's a master at teaching people with dual sensory impairment maybe it would be a good idea to check in with him because of the new challenges with your vision and and let us know if that's a good idea for you because it's you know what you're saying to me what I'm hearing is yes you can get yourself out there and have all the confidence in the world. But with a little bit of expert assistance, it goes a long oh, way. Yeah. I mean, every every little n- nugget that I got, I've taken it and took it 100 times farther. Like when I went to the NFB conference a couple uh, last year, and I just thought, oh, I'll, go, I'll go to the orientation mobility training. They use long canes, so it's a different technique than what we that I would normally I was trained on, yeah. Or I trained myself on, and so I was like, ah, I'll just see what this is because one, I'm inventing a cane, <laughs> inventing a new te- feel of a blind cane. So I like, yeah. How do I? I I need to be as well educated as possible, and they they taught a technique, and I'm like, that's very interesting. So I tried it, and it. It has enhanced my ability to really understand, all right, if I make this sound and if I feel this feeling, I can then make a good decision. Nice. And then I make, and if I do this sound and I feel this, that's a bad idea. Or like there's a certain thing that I can't, you can't verbalize it. You can only feel it. Yeah. And you have to live it over and over and over again to get that behavior like i can't use echolocation that, that's not possible no, for me. right but i can use my body feeling to feel the vibrations that are happening around me if i use use the right techniques and so that's wonderful and i think that information is power and getting it from anywhere and everywhere for people who know one thing is helen keller's biography her autobiography in fact she talks about that the one thing people always assumed incorrectly was that she was absent any information she's like no i feel the vibration on the floorboard i get so much information about whether it's a man or a woman and then certainly when i touch their hand how their emotions are ranging she just do a wonderful description that her world was not void she simply didn't hear or see but there was a lot of information still out there well, and, that, and that's a very interesting topic there because, I mean, people are asking me, oh, you're also the deaf blind potter on TikTok? 
what, what how do you do that and for me it's the same thing with telling Keller like it's all about all right I have these I have these senses how do I use them to tell me about what's happening in the world it's the same thing with pottery is how do I know the wall thick enough thin enough wide enough all that stuff to make that piece to be able to understand what's happening it's the same techniques it's when you cross that street when you're going down the road it's the same technique because you're using the other senses to really give you it's not necessarily enhance it's just sharpening the tool to say all right i'm able to identify that all right if i I've, I've repeated this multiple times and now I've built a muscle memory to help understand that part of this world. So Nice. Nice. Well, this has been so illuminating. We have used all of our time up and then some, but I wouldn't have stopped early for anything because I really enjoyed my delve into Kelv, Kelvin's story. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. Yeah, it does, I'm not a poet, but I truly enjoy today. Thank you for listening and thank you for sharing. Sounds great. Well, if you guys would like to follow us on TikTok, uh, you can go to Safe Toddles. And if you want to follow us on Facebook, you can go to Safe Toddles. If you want to go to Instagram, go to Safe Toddles. And if you'd like to email us and tell us about your story and how you're working with your toddlers, email us at info at safetoddle.org. You guys have a good one.